Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where we all heard what he said. It sounds reasonable. In Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 36, which begins with the Lord Humongous's horde retreating once again, and it ends with the compound dwellers arguing about what to do. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. This is an interesting place to start a Monday morning. We've transitioned scenes, and now we have to digest everything that happened last week. Yeah, we're really... It was a big week last week. We're really in the trenches with the compound dwellers in mentally understanding what just happened and the interaction that everybody just had, trying to understand what was said, make plans for the future. It's a lot of digesting. Yes. That is starting today, and we're going to continue through that pretty much all this week. Now, I haven't analyzed the other four minutes in this week yet, so I don't know if... Anybody is at all angry with the feral child? There's no display of it in this minute. And that kind of surprises me that nobody is angry with the feral child for what he did. Because what he did was poke the bear. Seriously poke the bear. Who knows how that might change the outcome for the worse. Yeah, I don't for the think dwellers. I don't think anybody ever brings up the fact that the feral child in a sense threw the first punch. But he he antagonized. Inter- yeah, he interrupted this quote-unquote negotiation that the Lord Humongous was offering and killed somebody and upset one of his prime lieutenants. Yeah. Other negotiators would have used that as an excuse to cancel negotiations Mm -hmm. and say, okay, fine, you want to play it this way? We'll play it this way and we'll win. Yeah. But the Lord Humongous made a point to say, you will have your revenge, Wes, but we're going to do it my way. And right now, Humongous's way is to give them one day to walk away. That moment of the Lord Humongous telling Wes that he is going to have his revenge is one of the standout details as to why if they take the Lord Humongous up on his offer, if Big Rebecca gets her way, that they're all done for. Good point. I don't think we made that point on Friday. No, I think it skipped our minds at that point. But it's a very telling detail that the Lord Humongous just between him and Wes. We got to hear that because we were right up in their faces when it happened, but none of the people in the compound got to hear that. Wes was promised revenge. Wes is promised an opportunity to get back at the people in the compound. When the Lord Humongous stands up and says, we'll give you safe passage in the wasteland, well, no, he's not. We just heard him promise one of his lieutenants that he is going to have bloody revenge on these people. As the horde is retreating, for lack of a better word, we kind of focus our shot on Max once again standing at the top of the wall. It's him, it's the mechanic, it's the curmudgeon. And the curmudgeon kind of has this look on his face before he turns and walks away. And I don't I don't know what you interpret that look as. It kind of looks to me like he's going to go change his pants or something like that because of how intense the situation just was. I see that he is fed up. Imagine being an old person. You have struggled through your entire life already. And now it's post-apocalyptic. 
and you're struggling worse than ever before, I can imagine I would feel like I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm old. I've lived my life. It has not been easy. And now this? I think that he is fed up. It's these dang millennials coming in. <laughs> And they won't leave them alone. Yeah, most people look forward to some sort of quiet or peaceful retirement where they can just grow old, enjoy the fruits of their labors, and die happy. Yeah, that's definitely not the situation and, that... And he does not get to do that. No. So the curmudgeon kind of turns and walks down into the compound. On the other side of the bus gate, we kind of see big Rebecca and David, the quiet man, standing there watching the horde kick up dust as they drive away. And you can kind of see in, I'd say, like the middle background that the toady has got himself a ride. He hopped on the back of the red snake truck that they loaded the golden boy's body onto so he does yeah. have a ride it's not like he has to run after them uh, probably only because they had to slow down enough to get the golden youth body onto the truck right they weren't actively speeding advantage. away yeah and he just took advantage of that and even then he's kind of sitting on the back with his legs hanging over it's not like he's mm. fully in the bed of the truck and i call it a snake truck because that's what it's called on the mad max wikia it's labeled as Snake truck. Snake it's a truck. modified Australian Ford F100. It's right-hand drive, so you know it's something they picked up locally. And um, Yeah, I was going to say F100. We don't have that in the States. No, I think we have F150. Is the lowest. The smallest that they make nowadays. Yeah. That might just be a 70s thing. Yeah. Before they got bigger. I right. think I've I think I've seen up to 650 is the largest one I've seen. I think I've seen, yeah, in that range. Yeah, they kind of look like semi-trucks. Yes. They're really They're high like up. Crazy and big. Totally impractical. As the horde is driving away, David is there on the wall and he's got his bow and arrow. He just kind of gets up what little nerve he has and then shouts after them that they'll never walk away. Never. And he actually shoots off one single arrow in frustration. It's what we call way too little, way too late. I'm annoyed that he shot the arrow. I mean, I'm sympathetic of his emotions at that moment, but I'm annoyed that he shot the arrow because now somebody has to go get it. And yeah. that person had better be him. <laughs> he better get his butt out there and grab that arrow himself. Yeah. Arrows are precious. You can't go wasting them. And yeah. I think Big Rebecca kind of leans over and stops him from freaking out because their resources are so finite. Just because... He feels upset about the situation and wants to take some revenge on the Horde for what they did to the Scouts. He probably feels a little powerless in the situation, so he wants to get some sort of word in, edgewise, to have the last word over the Lord Humongous. You know, it's really easy to talk a big game when the other dude is too far away for, to hear you. He, yeah. He wouldn't have said that. If he was face to face with the Lord Humongous. It absolutely did not count as getting the last word. Humongous, we got another shot of the Horde driving away. Their resoluteness in driving away, that was their last word. And they got it, and that's it. Cutting outside of the compound, we see the feral child's boomerang just kind of sitting there in the dirt. And then, you know, coming in from the side, the feral kid kind of crawls in there, grabs his boomerang. So that way, we know for later on, he gets his boomerang back. It's not like it stays laying out there forever or there was a bit of a risk that someone could just take it 
pocket it and never give it back. Kind of surprised the toady didn't. <laughs> Take it just out of spite? Yes, because the toady, <laughs> he wants to be accepted. He wants to be a central part of the group. And he works hard to accomplish that. But then things happen like he gets his fingers cut off and everybody laughs at him. Or yeah. he gets left behind and has to bum a ride, essentially. The toady serves a very specific purpose in the Horde. He is the herald yes. of the Lord Humongous. And if he's not in that specific role, he has no credibility. I'm not sure he really has that much credibility as the herald yeah. either. But if he had taken the boomerang, that would have been something unique about him that he could take back to the Horde. Does anybody else in the Horde have a boomerang? We haven't seen it. So if he took it and learned how to use it and that was his weapon, that could be something like interesting that other people might like about him. Yeah. And I he might be accepted a little bit more. I wouldn't say his problem lies in his credibility. I think his problem lies in his utility. He has a very specific, narrow focus as far as how useful he is. He's useful in that specific situation where you need to introduce the humongous. And other than that, what else is he going to do? We kind of see him involved in a chase later on in the movie, but he's no Wes. He's no Bearclaw Mohawk. He's not one of the other Horde members that are actually combat effective, or at least look combat effective. He doesn't exude ferocity. Yeah, he's not a warrior. He's an orator. Yeah. You know, his power comes in his speech. Yeah, having a trophy like that metal boomerang would definitely have made him a bit more eclectic looking. Yes. Not sure how effective of a trophy that would be. Like, oh, look, I've got the thing that cut off my fingers and I took it. It could be seen as taking revenge upon the person, quote unquote, responsible, because it was actually Wes yeah. who threw that. So <laughs> Wes no, was responsible. There's but no they're way blaming that the everything. Getting... I mean, there's a misplaced blame all over the place. So yeah. it's the feral child's fault. Taking that trophy from the feral child would have shown power over the feral child, yeah. who was the one responsible <laughs> for his fingers. I also like how there is just the tiniest bit of gore still on that boomerang. A little yeah. bit of blood from the fingers and brains from the golden youth. I imagine if the boomerang was forged by the goblins in Harry Potter that, you know, the boomerang would be just that much more, I guess, intelligent from the brains and dexterous from the fingers because the goblin forging absorbs from what it cuts. Is that how it works? Uh, it it absorbs only that which would make it stronger. So, <laughs> so it's um, hard to say exactly what a goblin forged boomerang would, would absorb consider... from a couple of marauders. Right. Well, I'm thinking from the golden youth, it would it would absorb his his beauty. It would luster just a little bit more in yeah. the sunlight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's well, maybe that's why it's so shiny. <laughs> because it's killed a bunch of beautiful people. Because it's killed a bunch of beautiful people. <laughs> there we go. I'll take it. <laughs> why not? And from the fingers from the toady i have no idea in the scene where the feral child reaches out to grab his boomerang if you look in the background way 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 in the background it appears that there's a biker 
who can't get his bike started. Oh, no. The the rest of the horde is gone. And he, you can actually see him pretty clearly. Yeah. And you can see him, like, futzing with his bike <laughs> and not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think it's over kind of at the end of where you see, like, the fencing. Yes. He's kind of there in the dust cloud. Yes. And I think we only see, like, one or two, like, good jumps of him getting on that starter to try and get the bike going. But, yeah, we got one straggler. <laughs> He yeah. just didn't have the best luck that day. Feral Child gets his boomerang, and then we kind of see Max. Now that the show's over out on the prairie, he can turn around and sit down. We get one final parting shot of the horde for today, of them going up over the hill. So we know that they're well and away before Big Rebecca comes and climbs up on top of the bus gate. And this is where she starts crying out to the other people in the compound. She says, you heard what he said. It sounds reasonable. We don't have to die. All we have to do is walk away. Big Rebecca has interpreted all that the Lord Humongous said as how he intended it. They will be safe. All they have to do is pick up and move. She goes on to say later on that it's simple. All we do is change the fuel and this junkyard for our lives. That's one way to look at it. As she's shouting, the warrior woman pipes up. Virginia says, no, we've worked too hard. She appreciates all the work that they put into it. Zeta, at the end of this minute, pops up and kind of says what we were all thinking on Friday. Look, if we walk out there, they'll slaughter us. So we've got two very clear parties. Big Rebecca on one side, Zeta and Virginia on the other. One saying, let's get out of here. It's too dangerous. And the other two saying, no, we've put a lot of effort into this place. We deserve to keep what we've worked to produce. And it's not safe to trust these people. If you just take the Lord Humongous at his word, yeah, it does sound reasonable. However, we have information that they don't. Yes. I'm thinking about Rebecca and what's going through her head, her emotional state that caused her to go on that side of things. She just had a loved one die. Yep. She just lost Nathan. Which to you and I, in the way we analyze this, it's been quite some time since he died. We have, we've talked about a lot of things since then. It's really easy to forget that Nathan just died. Right. But to Rebecca, Nathan died like maybe 10 minutes ago. It's incredibly fresh. Yes. So she is going through her own steps of grief. She makes a point of saying that nobody has to die. She says that because she just experienced a death. Yeah, she doesn't. And she doesn't want that for anybody else. She doesn't want to experience that herself. She wants to get out alive. That's an interesting juxtaposition to David, the quiet man, who also just found out that his loved one is also dead. So he's in a very similar position uh, going through his own steps of grief. And he goes the opposite way of putting his foot down and saying, no, we're not going anywhere. We have sacrificed our lives for this place. Those people aren't going to have died in vain so that we can just hand everything over to you. Yeah, you can definitely tell Big Rebecca falls into that same category as the curmudgeon. She is an older member of the compound. Yes. Zeta, Virginia, and David, they're all younger. They have the energy and the drive and the personal conviction to fight for what they've done. Big Rebecca, not so much. She's already experienced enough to pull that fight from her. Yeah. You know, she doesn't have it as much in her anymore. Like you said, 10 minutes ago, she was there cradling Nathan's head as he 
slipped away. He essentially died in her arms. Mm-hmm. And to immediately follow that up with the Lord Humongous saying, just walk away and I'll give you safe passage in the wasteland. She was listening to those words and taking them at face value. But you can't do that with the Lord Humongous. No. Obviously, you can't take anything at face value because he's wearing a mask, but that's beside the point. I think it's very symbolic in exactly how you said you can't take him at face value because you can't see his face. He is so much is communicated in your face. Mm -hmm. And when you can't see that, how, how are they supposed to trust him if he's not showing his true self to them? He's hiding his true self. I think the real menace from the Lord Humongous comes from how he chooses to communicate with the compound dwellers. He shows up with the horde at his back, revving engines and making threats and displays that are incredibly violent. And that's the way he operates. He has a giant group of murderers and rapists and, for lack of a better term, horse thieves. They're all awful people. It's like at the end of Blazing Saddles where Hedy Lamar gets all of the bad people he can round up together and that's what the Lord Humongous has done. And it's not like he's paying them like some sort of wealthy land baron. No, he has intimidated and coerced and made them follow him because of his physical stature and the things that he has done to impress and subjugate them. There is no, like we said on Friday, diplomatic solution here. He can say that there is, but because of the person that he is, the person that we've seen him be, how he treated his captives, there's no way that they can trust a peaceful solution like they need to fight that's their only option even after having talked about rebecca and her mindset and why she's siding on the side that she is i still like how can you trust him all of those things that you just said are evident in the way that he presented himself and the things that he said, none of it sounded genuine. No, I think she's just blinded by grief. Yeah. She is so heartbroken and so tired and so worried and stressed. It's a high, high stress environment. Yes. Being attacked for several days on end. Physically attacked. Yes. Not like emotionally or verbally attacked, but physically attacked. Yes. So we saw her and Nathan and how that all went down. He wasn't the first one to die. People have been dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could see through through the binoculars as Max was watching. The people were like going over the edge, having been shot, things like that. People have been dying for days. Who knows how many more people people that she personally cared about are already dead in the last few days. Mm-hmm. And then we have Nathan who died right in front of her. All of them are under so much stress. Yeah, I think it's important when we're watching this scene to not ridicule Rebecca because she wants to give up. Giving up, being done, fighting as much as you can and then deciding you can't fight anymore. That is a very valid reaction. Sometimes it's the right choice. Sometimes it's not the right choice. When discussing her, it's not fair to to judge her yeah. for her decision. Like, I'm not going to say that the things she is proposing, I'm not saying that they should give the Lord Humongous the compound and give up and walk through the wasteland. I'm not saying they should do that. I'm not saying it's the right decision. I'm just saying it's really simple when you think about it to see things from her perspective and to understand where she's coming from. Yes. I like what you said that it's it's simple. When you start <laughs> when you start analyzing 
what people say, it gets really complicated. As we have evidenced over the last entire first movie and coming up on half of this movie, once you start analyzing things, it gets really complicated. They're going to experience this too, analyzing what he said and trying to figure out what he meant and, and what their best course of action is. Honestly, the most simple thing is to believe him and to say, okay, fine, we're going to walk away. It's the simplest course of action. Mm-hmm. It's the least guesswork. It's the least trying to parse words and meaning and all that kind of stuff. In her state, simple is good. I find it interesting that both Virginia and Zeta talk out against the idea of taking up the Lord Among Us on his offer. Warrior Woman says, no, we've worked too hard. She is focused on the effort that they have put into fortifying that location, making it work, refining the oil that they've gotten so far into gasoline. She understands, and her big thing is that they've put too much effort into this place to just walk away. Invalidate all of the sacrifices that they made to just walk away. Zeta, on the other hand, is more focused on seeing through the Lord Among Us's words, and he says it right out. If we walk out there, they'll slaughter us. He's right there on the front lines, probably one of the closest people besides the Warrior Woman to that situation, and so they saw really clearly the state that the scouts were in. Big Rebecca was on the wall, but she was kind of off to the side, probably not up as high, so she probably couldn't see as much. The points that Zeta and Virginia bring up are equally valid. One being, this is ours, we need to defend it, and also, they can't be trusted. And I like that we get those two viewpoints, because it's kind of two against one anyway, but it's two valid points against one as well. It's not just two people, it's two ideas. Yes, and that's something that Rebecca's argument does not touch on, is how much they have already put into the compound. Effort, time, lives. She's only focused on the future. Yeah. What lives can we save by walking away? Yeah, and if they walk away, what does that make of the lives that were lost in defense of that place? Mm -hmm. It kind of invalidates them. Yes. Because it means that those lives were lost for nothing. Although, we brought up on Friday, we talked about the negotiation tactic of, okay, we can't change what has already happened. All we can do is do something about what will happen. Let's end the violence here. No matter what's happened in the past, let's put that in the past and just move forward. So you can use that same argument here. What's happened in the past, the people that we've lost, the time and effort we've put into it, let's put that in the past and focus on saving the lives in the future that we can. That's not the argument that she's making. She's reacting emotionally, saying, okay, fine, let's go. Uh, but it, that's an argument that could be made. As a side detail, the whole time that they are up arguing, Max is over off to the side, and yeah. he's kind of pulled out a lockpick, uh -huh. I think it is. If they had known that he was a cop, they probably wouldn't have pulled out just the generic everyday cop handcuffs, because he's not only unlocked his side of the handcuffs, he also unlocks the other side of right. the handcuffs, so he can just have those handcuffs now. Yes, that is now an asset that he has. Yeah, they didn't so much chain him to a railing, they just gave him an extra pair of handcuffs. Yeah. Because <laughs> he like used up all of his chains on the gyro captain. I like that he's just now getting to it, because he was, there was so much else to pay attention to that he just hadn't gotten around to freeing himself. Exactly. They locked him up. That's a nice detail. And then detail. there was the horde to watch. Yes. So. Zeta patted him down. And I know a lockpick is a really small, flat item, but a good pat 
sat down would find something like that. Well, if you're looking for weapons, you're going to find weapons. Yeah, but... And that's the only thing you're going to find. Yes. He should have been looking for more because Exhibit A... He had a lockpick on him, and he picked his way out of handcuffs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't look at Zeta and think, oh, yeah, he's got complete search and identify training <laughs> like Max does. Right. I think this is a good place to stop for today. I think so. We'll pick up tomorrow. We're going to continue kind of going back and forth inside the compound. More ideas are going to be brought up. More people are going to interject themselves into the conversation. Yes. So uh, I get to bring up. That. I get to bring up Mary Poppins tomorrow. There you go. It's going to be a good time. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 30. 36 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.